Hey everybody, welcome to Mountain Meister. This is Ben. Today we're throwing it back to episode number 111. You might remember this one. It's Kaylin Thorian. Talk about waking up with a smile. She's a pro skier, just an all-around awesome person. Before we get to that show, just wanted to remind you to check out our support page on our website. It's brand new, and we have all sorts of fun packages, including a play director package. What happens here is that we let you know when the future Meisters are coming onto the show, before I even record with them, and you'll have the opportunity to ask them your questions. So let's say we're bringing on another legendary rock climber, and you're trying to red point a 511B that requires a heel hook followed by a fist jam into this crazy dyno to send this project. I have no idea what that means, truthfully. I had to look at a climbing glossary. But you do know what it means, and that's what's important. We have the people on the show to answer those questions. With this Play Director package, you'll get the chance to ask them, and we'll send you the answers in a separate extra piece of content. Go check that out on our support page, mtnmeister.com. Episode 111 with Kaylin Thorian starts now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mountain Meister. I am Ben Shank, the host of this podcast. And today we welcome Kaylin Thorian. Kaylin, welcome. Thanks, Ben. For the listeners who don't know Kaylin, she is a professional skier, adventurer, writer, and photographer based out of Salt Lake City, Utah. She has been placed on the covers of Ski Magazine and Powder Magazine, among many other publications. And according to something I found on the internet, Kaylin, your favorite foods are fish tacos, pizza, and a huge glass of green juice and a stack salad. <laughs> Depends on my mood, pretty much. What, what is green juice? Oh, just, uh, you know, what all the hippies are drinking, a combination of kale and spinach and lemon and cucumbers and basically just a mass dosing of all healthy green items. Wow. That sounds good. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever had green juice. It's, uh, it's tasty. I'll have to explore uh, Somerville in Boston. has a lot of the hipster crowd. Uh, I'm, fr- I'm from Boston. That's where I record this out of. And I think I should be able to find some green juice there. Yeah, yeah. If not, I mean, like they carry it at Whole Foods for like nine dollars a bottle. It's it's cool. <laughs> oh, okay, super cheap. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, you're a pro skier. When did you start skiing? Um, I pretty much started skiing more on the serious side when I was about sixteen. So later in life, much later. I started skiing when I was, I think, right when I got out of the the backpack. So <laughs> so my parents skied with a backpack. Uh, and I was in it. Actually, I think I did that once before my mom told my dad not to. <laughs> I don't know if, I guess you didn't have that if you started skiing at 16. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, my parents tried when I was growing up and we would go once a year or so and, and it turned into more of them just dragging me up to the hill. I had tears streaming down my face, yelling at them how much I hated them. And eventually they, I think they just gave up and, uh, it, yeah, it took a, up until high school years to discover that this is actually something that I really enjoyed doing. So you didn't like skiing? No, I hated it. And yeah, so I probably did it maybe half a dozen times um, throughout my life until until the high school years. <laughs> why, why did you not like it? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. It's uh, maybe because I didn't really grow up in, in much of like a, a ski-focused town. Um, not to say there wasn't skiing nearby, but it just never interested me. I was a ballet dancer, and, you know, I really liked school and art. And hmm. 
I didn't really like the outdoors. I just kind of wanted to sit home and doodle or, or listen to music and stuff like that. It, it was, it was a strange transition that I'm still trying to figure out. (laughs) That's really interesting. I wonder if you'll ever find an answer. I don't know, but I I found one now, so I'll take it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So you started skiing when you were 16. At what point did you decide that you wanted to try to become a professional? Um, I'd say it more uh, presented itself to me. I just really, really loved to ski, and I would watch ski movies and, you know, was definitely uh, aware of the industry, but um, I never thought I could be a part of it. So I just, uh, after high school, I moved to Alta and got a job just washing dishes and, you know, flipping burgers up there and got better and better at skiing. And then it seemed that, uh, you know, one day I came across a buddy of mine and he was with a photographer. We went out and shot some photos and it turned out I was okay at it. And especially at the time, there weren't as many females in the sport. And so kind of word got out that I could, you know, take a decent picture. And with the help of social media, more photographers sort of saw that, that, oh, here's this, you know, this blonde girl that, that makes a nice pow turn. Like, I want to go shoot her. And it just sort of fell into my lap almost at first. <laughs> what do you mean by at first? Because um, it doesn't, you know, it wasn't like it was spoon fed to me. Uh-huh. So it started that way. And then that's when I was like, wait, maybe this is something that I can do. Maybe I can, I can pursue this. So I started to actually sit down, write emails, you know, try and get sponsored, um, would go out more and more with photographers trying to create a portfolio and a good resume and actually do this seriously instead of just a ski bum who takes some pictures. So in a typical interview, we might start talking about all of your successes. Um, but what I've noticed throughout my (laughs) short life is that (laughs) humans have this tendency when we're looking back on something to just jump from the beginning to the end. And, and it'd be really easy for us to just say like, Hey guys, you know, here's a super inspirational story. Caitlin Thorian barely knew how to ski started when she was 16, blah, blah, blah. Now look at everything she's accomplished since then. But correct me if I'm wrong, Caitlin, I don't think that properly captures your story. <laughs> yeah, you know, I wish it was that easy, but um, yeah, there, there are definitely highs and lows on that, on that path. <laughs> yeah, it seems to me, at least so far, that you've spent way more time like just getting by than where you stand with your success today. Absolutely. I think maybe in the last month or so, I realized... Uh, I'm not just getting by anymore, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a scraping by type of journey. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so those are the years that we're going to talk about today. All right. It's just, it's going to be a really depressing half hour. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. It's good. It'll be inspirational sort of maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well we know the ending, so that's good. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So you decide to, you want to pursue this opportunity as a professional skier or at least you want to try to you start getting some summer jobs to support your skiing during the winter uh what what were some summer jobs that you did you said you did dishes sometimes what else yeah i uh they kind of ranged from i worked uh, construction for my dad to working at um as a dock hand at redfish lake in idaho to um you know the the one that actually paid the bills throughout the winter, which was firefighting. Mm-hmm. So that was probably the best one as a ski bum because I could take my entire winter off. <laughs> That's the dream job for a ski bum? Yeah, a firefighting or some sort of seasonal job that allows you to not work in the winter. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So you can make enough money. So it seems to me that firefighting and skiing are exact opposites in the fact that like skiing, I think, 
and this is probably true for a lot of outdoor sports, it's kind of selfish. And I don't mean selfish in like a negative way. I just mean like, like it's all about what you're doing. Like you, you're skiing for yourself. Whereas firefighting is like, you're putting yourself out there, uh, for the benefit of a greater cause. Absolutely. And you also have between, you know, five to 20 to, you know, who knows how many people that you're working with. So it's much more, Mm. um, a team aspect than skiing is. Yeah. Good point. How'd you like that? Um, I, you know, I absolutely loved it. It not only, um, you know, it was, it was great money and on all that, but the, the mental game and the strength that you gain from firefighting has really crossed over into skiing a lot too. So I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, it was hard. That's not to say that every day was awesome. You know, I woke up some mornings just like, God, I have to do this again. But at the same time, you, you get through the day and, and by the end of it, you're swapping stories with, you know, your fellow firefighters and, and you guys are psyched. I mean, you, the, the harder the day, usually the better it feels at the end. Hmm. Yeah, well, it's true of skiing too, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what were those, you said you learned some things from firefighting that you applied to skiing. What, what, what are you talking about there? Um, I think the best one would be uh, knowing how to suffer. And that's, uh, you know, it everything doesn't always work out the way it's planned. And And when I first started firefighting, I you know, if, if the day started to turn really, really hard or we were just given news that, hey, we're going to have to be doing, you know, on the line for 16 hours a day, just work, 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 um, learning how to deal with that and going into it with the best attitude um, was an incredible asset because now when I go out ski touring and say we have a, a huge day touring or something goes wrong or someone gets hurt or the weather's awful or it's a huge hike, you name it, um, I'm able to know how to deal with it with a great attitude and to be able to get through it um, and without, you know, having an awful time, basically, <laughs> which is huge. Absolutely. And I feel like when you undergo things that are harsh like that, then it puts everything else into perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just, yeah, the the mental game, I, that that's something that you can't just learn from a book. <laughs> you know, you can't just just read about it. You have to experience it. And it's, 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 yeah. Type two fun is what we like to call yes, it. Yes. Type two fun. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there are people out there while you're doing the quote ski bumming that tell you like, wow, you're living the dream. Like you get to ski all the time. You're so lucky. Did you hear that a lot? Uh, all the time. Oh yeah. <laughs> What's your response to people who say things like that? Um, you know, it's usually like a lot of laughing and kind of head nodding. And, you know, in my head, there's flashbacks of, of eating ramen and, and having a negative $15 bank account. But, uh, at the same time, when you do put it in the grand scheme of things, um, you know, I haven't had a desk job in a long time. So Mm -hmm. I, it's, it's definitely a blessing, but it's, it has its moments of harshness too. So the dark side of ski bumming would be that you're eating ramen noodles and you have a negative $15 in your bank account. What about the psychological, emotional stressors? How about those? Um, you know, especially when all my friends um, were graduating from college, that was that was an interesting little period of time there, um, you know, because you feel like almost a failure. You feel like you're not bringing anything to the society, that your parents are disappointed in you, you know, that you're hearing about, you know, Susie Q, who has this great new job at... Microsoft and and whatnot, and she's my age um, and making six figures, and yeah, it that can be a little harsh um, on on the mental aspect, but uh, 
you just have to step back and realize where your priorities are. And my priorities have never been the the house and the white picket fence and, and the American dream. It's, it's been, you know, out and out in the mountains and, and I wake up with a smile every day. And to me, that's more important than, than a full bank account. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when we like zoom into that time when you like really are feeling that emotion, what mm-hmm. am I doing? What do people think of me? How do you combat that? Um, I go skiing. <laughs> oh, good answer. Uh, you know, yeah, it's as simple as that. I go out and, um, you know, try to find a pretty view or find some good snow. And, and then, uh, it's just, it's an instant relief. I mean, it's that any sort of doubt is gone. The second my skis start going downhill or uphill, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's probably the biggest relief. That was, yeah, that was a really good answer because <laughs> I think when people do feel those emotions, it's normally when you're not doing the activity, yep. right? Because you love, you love the skiing. That's why you're doing this. Exactly. So you're not doing it. Huh? Well put, Kaylin. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> so how many times did you fail, do you think, at, at becoming a professional skier before you hit it right? Oh, God, I'm still failing. Good, yeah. <laughs> you know? um, it's, and I think every everyone is because every single pro out there, I believe has a level that they want to attain. And I don't know if we're ever going to attain it, but we're all going to be very, very close. Um, because it's not even so much about being a professional skier, you know, getting paid and all that stuff, but reaching a level as a skier yourself personally, like in abilities. And I think that's something that we're, we're always going to be striving for. Mm. But in terms of, uh, being able to support myself with skiing and not having to get a job, it literally basically a few weeks ago is when I figured out I could do that wow. is when it finally happened. So it's been years of scraping, of trying to get someone to pay me. And I wouldn't say I had moments of failure for it, but it took a long time for companies to recognize my worth and to see that, okay, we should pay her and she should be making, you know, X amount of dollars um, to support her love of this. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, that took, that took years. So long. Years. Yeah, super long. For some people, it happens overnight. Um, which is amazing, and I love seeing that. Um, but for a lot of us, it takes a long, long time of hard work, of scraping by, of working odd jobs just to make it happen. And first, a lot of people, it, it probably won't. Mm-hmm. I guess this would be a question for people who don't have it work out for them. But how, how do you think you would reflect back on those years had it not worked out for you? Um, I would have been just as happy because that was never the goal. Um, was to to make money at this. The goal was to figure out the best way to ski every day and travel the world. Hmm. So however I need to do that, um, I'm going to do it. This is the preferred route, and I'm glad it worked out, but I always had plan B, plan C, you know, whatever, to make it happen, such as firefighting. I honestly, that's what I thought it was going to be from here on out, was firefighting in the summer and then skiing in the winter, but um, I kept pushing and was able to make it, you know, to make it work. Here are some failure quotes, because I love quotes. <laughs> and you're going to have a quote on your Meister profile page, Kaylin. You you okay. may have said something already in the interview, or at some point, you're going to say something awesome, and I'm going to put it <laughs> on your Meister profile page. So here are some failure quotes. Only those who dare to fail greatly can achieve greatly. That's from Robert F. Kennedy. 
I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work from Thomas Edison. <laughs> Success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm from Winston Churchill. I think that one probably resonates with you. Um, the only real mistake is the one from which we learn nothing. I like that one. Henry Ford. Very nice. Those are cool, right? Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. All right, moving on from quotes, let's go to gear. We like to get a gear recommendation from every single Meister that comes onto the show. And Kaylin, you started from the bottom and now you're here. And because of that, we'd like to get one from you too. This is 100% up to you what you would like to suggest, but I recommend that it comes from skiing or another one of your hobbies. What would you like to recommend to our listeners? Um, well, I can definitely, what I would like to recommend is uh, we're seeing a huge push, you know, in the backcountry skiing world. And I recently found my perfect setup and it makes me very happy. Um, this is a setup that I use on the resort and off of the resort. Um, I never have to switch boots. I never have to switch bindings. It's the same setup every time. And that would be um, my Volet V8 ski, which is an all-mountain powder ski, uh, also designed for touring. It's ultra light, uh, playful, super fun. And I have those mounted up with a pair of DinaFit Radical FT bindings, which is one of the more aggressive uh, free ride touring binding. And uh, to click into those, I use the DinaFit Mercury women's boot, which is a, a great um, sort of free ride, more aggressive women's touring boot. And like I said, this setup is my everyday uh, in bumps, riding chairlifts to skiing deep pow in the backcountry. Um, it's, it's all the time. So it's great to not have to jump around on gear. I'm super stoked. <laughs> the, that's got to be one of the lightest setups out there, right? That's all very lightweight stuff. <laughs> It's lightweight for for the free ride free ride world, but I think a lot of the the hardcore tours would um oh, would, laugh at me. Oh wow, okay. <laughs> it's not the lightest, but uh, it's definitely lighter than any alpine touring setup or anything like that. I mean, if if yeah, so it's it's pretty light. Cool, sure. cool. All right, you can find Kaylin's setup on her Meister profile page on our website mtnmeister.com. Kaylin. You mentioned moguls there, and I am so happy you did because I've been waiting to pick one of the Meister's brains on this topic. I skied moguls when I was younger, and I wasn't bad. I was like a pretty good mogul skier, and I think it's due to my family growing me up that way. I mean, the only thing that we really ever skied were bumps. Like that was it, maybe a couple of groomers to start off the day, but the rest of the day were all bumps. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm talking about resort skiing. So... To me, bumps have always been just like the go-to because it's automatically the most challenging thing on the hill, I think. Do you agree with me there, first of all, that, that moguls are the most challenging thing that you can find in a resort? I mean, maybe some shoots, but but for the most part, it's moguls? I'd say, well, <laughs> moguls to me are pretty much anything that isn't how or a groomer. Yeah, or okay. <laughs> let's, let's stay with that. No, no, no. I like that. I like that definition. That's fine with me. Um, but yeah, I think... Uh, it, it definitely is one of the hardest things because it's the thing that I pretty much try to avoid at all costs. Um, so <laughs> um, it is because it really requires just solid technique. And that's something that I'm always constantly learning because like we talked about earlier in the show, um, I, I didn't grow up with any sort of training. Um, so to me, 
it's been the best and hardest thing to ski because it makes it forces me to really have to to focus on um, my technique and and my positioning and everything like that. And I agree with you. The best skiers that I know have been bump skiers, and they usually all come from the East Coast. Yes, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's the next thing that I was going to say. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm skiing and also you know who comes from the east coast racers I mean racers obviously come from the west coast too or and, and wherever but these racers on the east coast won't ski moguls they like refuse to ski moguls <laughs> is that how it is in the west too um I think so I mean you can't even find a like a, a, a true mogul course at Alta, or really a lot of the places around here. I think you have to go over to Park City to, to find yeah. a legit mogul run. Um, yeah, because our moguls just get filled in with deep, deep pow, Ben. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, I've skied out west, and I, there are some great <laughs> mogul runs. That's true. That's true. I'm just rubbing it in. I'm trying to trying to make. Well, it yes, no, no. The pow, the pow definitely makes me jealous, <laughs> Kaylin. But what I'm trying to figure out is like, how can you call yourself that great of a skier, especially to these East Coast racers, if you can't ski moguls? Oh, it sounds like such a mogul racer thing to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I was a mogul racer. So, and I, I, this is probably the first time that I've ever like inserted an opinion on this show. I try to stay very unbiased. Um, but this, I, I'm like really curious. Like, I feel like you need to do everything on the mountain. And if you can't do moguls, then I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you can if you can shred a mogul line, um, especially on like non mogul skis, then in my opinion, you are the king of the mountain, mm. and I bow down to you. <laughs> now, let's say we take somebody who can rip a mogul line smooth. Is mm-hmm. there anything that you think that they can't do that maybe like a racer could besides go fast? <laughs> um, I'd like to see. A mogul skier throw down or picturesque like Lee Cohen pow turn. Okay. You know, that that's you guys are in like your little box form with your hands all super tight and close. Right. Uh, which is a big no no when it comes, especially if you're trying to shoot skiing. Um yeah. but uh no, honestly, Ben, I, I have to give you the the word on this one. I, I think uh mogul skiers can ski anything. It may take them a few tries, but they'll learn it a hell of a lot faster than I'll ever learn skiing moguls. So okay. Well <laughs> next time I'm out west, maybe we could rip some mogul runs together. Do it. I'll do it in my Dina fits. Yes, perfect. <laughs> All right. And thank you for bearing with me on that because I've I've just been so curious. And I think I might ask some more skiers in future episodes about moguls. Yeah. All right, moving on. You were a soul rider, Kalen. Mark Kogelman was on this show a couple of times, one to talk about soul riders, the other time to talk about a very serious head injury that he had. His first episode was number four. His second episode was number 93, if the listeners would like to check those out. Now, I remember the Kogelmeister, which is what I call him, (laughs) (laughs) he said that a soul rider is a person that would do it without the camera on them. Yes. And most soul rider athletes aren't really big names and they don't get paid a lot. And I remember us asking him, like, can a person be like, stay a soul rider? Like, what if they get famous? And you happen to be a really good example of that. So are you like allowed to stay a soul rider now that you're making a living skiing? Um, You know, I think it's something that will always be internal because that's the ultimate thing that's driving myself and I think all of us. Um, even the most pro of pro skiers, 
Um, there's a reason they're pros and it's because they love, 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 love to ski. Um, a great example in that actually was, um, you know, the late great JP Alclair. I went on a trip with him last winter and he, you know, he's, he, he was and is the biggest name in skiing. And, um, so watching him work was unbelievable because we had cameras galore. We had everything on us and he was nonstop. We, you know, it would be the end of the day and we're all exhausted and he's looking up at this couloir, which would take God knows how long to hike. And he just wants to go ski it. Hmm. He doesn't even, you know, the camera guy's like, ah, I I think I'm done. Like maybe we should head back. And he's like, well, I still want to go ski it. And he, his drive was from the passion. It wasn't ever from the cameras. And so, yeah, I, I feel like you'd never lose that because if, if you start skiing for just the camera, I, you're just not going to be as successful. Um, the, the, the passion has to be internal and that's something that'll never be lost. And, and once the cameras go away, you know, when we're all older, when, when our, our careers are all done, it'll still be there and we're still going to be getting up and, and skiing every day and, and chasing that dream. I, that's never going to go. Very cool. So you mentioned once this is all done, what's what's next for Kaylin Thorne? You're not done yet. No, no. And uh, I've learned to not think about it too hard. Huh. Sounds almost kind of you know reckless or, or naive or, or irresponsible, but um, and trying to completely chart my path has shown to be a pretty futile move. Um, and I just know and I trust myself that I'm going to do whatever makes me happy and I'm going to keep pursuing whatever puts a smile on my face every morning. Uh, what that is, I'm not sure, but I know that I'm going to follow it. You know, it could be basket weaving for all I know, but, uh, the pursuit of happiness is, is basically the goal. Yeah. This, it sounds like you, if you had to choose between like high expectations, low expectations, or no expectations for your future, you have kind of the no expectations route where you say like, whatever happens, happens. And I wrote something about this for our newsletter about how when humans get their expectations beat, they're happy. But when we miss expectations, then that's when we really, really get down on ourselves. Mm -hmm. So when you have no expectations, (laughs) then the possibilities are endless. Exactly. You know, you're, you're, it's, yeah, it's like walking off trail. You can go in any direction Mm -hmm. at that point. Um, And I've found that that's, seems to be a really, really good route as of now. Maybe it's a very young thing to say, and maybe I'll look back and laugh at myself, but as of now, I'm going to hang on to that. (laughs) Yeah, no, be yourself, right? (laughs) All right, final question for Kaylin Thorian. We'd like to see who is going to be the next Meister on this show. Who would you like to see as the next Mountain Meister? Um, I think everyone would really enjoy hearing about uh, Jim Harris, a.k.a. Perpetual Weekend, who is an amazing adventurer, photographer, and writer um, based out of Utah. Uh, Unfortunately, he's currently in the hospital right now with um, a severe spinal injury, but he is recovering. Um, But he is pretty much uh, one of the biggest inspirations um, in my life, uh, I've done a lot of adventures with him. He's taught me more in a year than I've learned in a lifetime. And um, he's just an absolutely beautiful human. And I think uh, I think his voice needs to be heard. I think a lot of people need to, to hear what he has to say. That's our responsibility to deliver it. <laughs> Kaylin Thorian, thank you for joining us on Mountain Meister today. It was wonderful having you. 
Well, thank you, Ben. It was wonderful to be on here. For the listeners, if you'd like to learn more about Kaylin, you can Google her or you can go to kaylinthorian.com or you can go to our website, mtnmeister.com, where we'll have highlights of today's episode. Thanks, Kaylin. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Have a good day. Good. Glad you have a great radio voice. Oh, do I really? Uh-huh. <laughs> I got told by one, uh, actually a couple of people, that I sounded like Ira Glass. Do you know who that is? Yeah, oh, totally. Okay. <laughs> do you get that? Yeah. All right. Kaylin, with some kind words after the show. Thanks, Kaylin. If you, the Meister fan, like this sort of content, the Play Director package has a lot of it. Let's talk after the show. We answer your questions and send it all to you in a separate file. It's this little piece of treasure, 20 bucks a month. Go to our support page on our website to see that. Also, if you support Mountain Meister in any financial capacity through our support page, you'll be entered to win a $100 prize pack every single month. Your odds are pretty good right now, especially if you start early. Go to our support page to see all of the options. As usual, enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do while you listen to my voice, whether you're cooking dinner, climbing a mountain, or driving to work. Hope you enjoyed. I'm Ben Shank. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mountain Meister. Talk to you later. <laughs>